so I was hoping that it was going to feel a little bit more like spring when I thought about using this illustration today. But some of you guys know that I just love kayaking, canoeing, paddle sport. I love getting outside. I love the, the joy of doing that together. One of the things that I've learned, I do not like being in a single kayak or canoe. I really like to be with other people. I love that setting of us partnering together and moving forward. And one of the things that stood out to me, there was a book that I read written by a man by the name of Wayne Cordero. Some of you may have heard his name. He's a pastor in Oregon and in Hawaii. And Wayne tells this incredible story in a book that was very meaningful to me, um, that the title of the book is Doing Church as a Team. Isn't that a good title? Doing church as a team. And the philosophy of ministry that he shared has actually been pretty powerful for me in my life. It influences the way I aspire to lead Hope Church. And in the opening verse, or opening pages of his book, Doing Church as a Team, Wayne shares a story about an outrigger canoe. We'll show you a picture of this. Uh, we, uh, we don't use these on Lake Erie too often, but in Hawaii, this is the kind of canoe um, or um, yeah, canoe that has been used to travel the island for several hundred years, right? And um, so Wayne had received an invitation. He's a pastor on a church staff there in Hawaii, and he had received an invitation to compete in a six-person uh, canoe competition. I think it was like one-eighth of a mile. And, uh, and so he jumped at the, I would have totally done the same thing, like, put me in, let's go, let's see. And, and probably like me, if I'm really honest, I would have expected that I knew what I was doing. But Wayne was smart enough to hire someone who was a coach. And so he describes in his book early on these six individuals that had not experienced this before. They get in this outrigger canoe and um, the, the coach actually could sit, I must have been a special canoe, could sit on the front and, and he gave them the opening briefing. All right, guys, here's what you're going to do. We're going to go this eighth of a mile. Uh, good time is probably 60 seconds, something like that. Um, and then as he's talking with them about the instructions, you know, this is how you hold a paddle. Uh, Wayne in the book just says that they just basically ignored him, right? You know, ah, we got this, right? No one's going to be doing this, right? We got, we got this. And so um, after they had ignored the introduction, you, you guys are like, what, what is he talking? You guys have been on airplanes before, right? And, and when they're instructing you to, you know, emergency exit, you know how to hear without hearing, right? And so, so he said that he heard without hearing. And, um, the, and then in Hawaiian, after they had ignored this in Hawaiian, the, the instructor who's sitting on the front of this canoe says, ready, get set, go in Hawaiian. And and they just start paddling and they're flailing. And the way he describes it, he said he totally whacked the guy in front of him. There was blood, you know. He said that um, they were like, his description in the book is like, you know, you expect it to be like a knife through butter. And we were like a drowning elephant. I love that description, right? Uh, he said after they made it the distance, their coach yelled at them, Stop! And, and, and they looked at the, the canoe and it, or the kayak and it's our canoe. It's filled halfway with water, right? It's like a, it's now it's turned into a submarine and they're discouraged. They have to bail the thing out. You know, there's this whole process that they go through. And then the instructor has their attention again. I've shared similar stories. Some of you can relate to this. So the instructor, again, tells them this is a paddle. 
uh, he, he talks to them about what it means for them to be synchronized. So in the first round, they're just going at will and just, you know, whatever. And he explains to them that you, you notice the person that's in front of you. You, you realize what it means to, to, to emulate what that stroke is that they're going through. And as Wayne describes the story, I know you can imagine it, that that he explains, they set it up again, they build out the, the canoe and they're ready to go for another round. And in this time period, now that they understood what their role was, they, they cut their time down by 30 seconds. They, they didn't have to work nearly as hard, that there was beauty that they could experience as they, walk, they, they literally rode together. And I want to share with you, church family, many of you have heard this in my language when I try to help lead this church family and be a part of the team, that I think one of the things that the Lord has called me to do is to remind us as a church family that it's our privilege, it's our responsibility, it's our blessing to be able to row together as a church family. And I think one of the things that's near my heart, and I think I see this in the Apostle Paul when we study God's word together today, is that he really wants them to get along. He's going to use language today that is affectionate. He's going to tell them, we've studied this before, but he's going to tell them to greet one another with a holy kiss. And for some of us, we're like, that sounds gross. Um, but, But what he's saying in this process is he says, brothers and sisters in Christ, you need to understand how to get along. You need to understand how to see one another. And we're going to talk about that today. So, so Ray's example of isolation is something that I think is our natural state. I think it's been encouraged over the last several years. And for some of us, isolation, barriers, calluses that hold people at a distance. I've used this in this series, this example of just saying, if there was a sign on the front of you, does it say vacancy? Or does it say no vacancy, right? Like to say, I want relationships or I am isolating. I'm hiding from what God has for me. Today, we're going to see Paul use the names of people intimately. He's going to describe a couple that was meaningful to him. He's going to talk about relationships in a way that's valuable. And we're going to see, and I think it's going to begin, and I I want you to catch this, by seeing one another for the potential that they have. I think he's also going to talk about what it means to understand our roles and to get involved. I I will say this at Hope Church that uh, we've been blessed. The Lord has provided for our needs in many ways, but we've got empty seats and oars that are not being used right now. And and some of you, uh, I'm going to challenge you today that it may be the time for you to say, I have a gift. It may not be the same gift as anyone else in this room. And, And it's time for you to get your oar in the water. I think for some of us, we have missed out on the blessing of intimacy and relationship and provision of the Lord. And, and I think for some of us, we've misunderstood the fact that when God describes our relationship with one another, Paul's going to close with this in the last verse. He's going to talk about the people who have called Lord the Jesus Lord, that, that are our brothers and sisters. It's going to use that language throughout this passage. And, and I want you to just catch it, that that you might have had a, a horrible experience in your physical earthly family, but in God's spiritual family, he desires for us to consider each other brothers and sisters. So I'd like to invite you, if you have your Bibles, to turn with me to 1 Corinthians. Uh, we're going to pick up in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 in a verse that um, is meaningful to me, 
verse 15. And I, I love the way that um, I want you to hear the end of this quote from Wayne Cordero before we read this passage. I think it's beautiful. He says, God designed his people to row together for a purpose. He has designed each church with a special purpose. He has plans to saturate the carrying out of that purpose with joy. I love that emphasis of joy. In order for this to happen, God has given each of us a unique gift. The combination of our gifts working in sync should give off such a joyful radiance that the world stands up and takes notice. I think for some of us, we stand back and we say, well, wait a second, what, what direction are we headed? What, we see the water filling up in the canoe of our life and we, we wonder, is it time for us to jump ship, to go somewhere else maybe that will connect with us better, that we wrestle with the fact that there's some in our, in our context that maybe aren't rowing and we resent that or we feel the pain of someone else whacking us in the back and we have pain and hurt, or that we really do relate to that, what feels like the sinking elephant image. But, but church, I, I think what we're going to see, if we value one another, if we welcome others into our life, if we choose to engage with them, we're going to see what God has for us. But it begins with us recognizing one another. It says this, I'll pick up where we left off last week in verse 14. Uh, you could call this chapter, 1 Corinthians 16, the other love chapter, of 1 Corinthians. It says this, let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. That word fellow worker in Greek is, is an incredible word. It, um, it, the, the, that word is the word that we get the root from the word synergy. Isn't synergy an awesome concept that we, we go struggle together and in the process of struggling together, the load becomes lighter for all of us. He says, be subject such as these and to every fellow worker Sooner get, oh, uh, we, we partner together in, in labor. And I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunus and Achaeus because they have made up for your absence for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. It's very interesting to me in these verses that, that we see uh, an emphasis on the roles that people play, the, the different oars that are in, in different individuals' hands. And for Paul, as he helped to start this church in Corinth, he described it and established it in such a way that he wanted it to thrive long-term, even without him physically being in the room all of the time. And he established these different roles. And I, I'll just make a quick couple of observations of the text. One, Paul cared about people. He cared about their names. He paid attention to them. He was not so driven that he ignored names. Uh, instead, he took time to see them. And I think that that's really beautiful as we study this passage. I also think that his emphasis on doing everything in love, in partnership, and in collaboration, and understanding what it means to co-labor together reminds us of the title of the book that I mentioned earlier, that God's desire for us is to do church as a team. And even in this, this, this first sentence of this verse, when it talks about Adelphi or Delphus, the brother term that we call one, I'm one of 
Four boys, right? Uh, I understand my brothers. We, we did life together. Um, we didn't kill each other, thankfully, right? We, we had um, a delightful time growing up in Dayton, Ohio. And one of the things that I recognize is that's one of the most intimate relationships that you can have in your life, um, that you've shared life together. The fact that in the church context, we can use that same kind of language to describe people that we do not know uh, at the initial onset is quite fascinating to me. God intended for us to do church as a team, and it's based upon the fact that we're fellow workers. I think it's important for us to recalibrate our expectation of relationships, that these are mission-driven relationships that can over time turn into family. When I say mission-driven, I think of Concepts like in, in the military, individuals who fight together, that, that we use this phrase to describe it, a band of brothers, right? There's an identified enemy and there's a process that they go through. And in times of drafts in our, in our country's history, there were times when people came from every state and all over the country, different backgrounds, echo social um, status and positions and levels of education. And, and they gathered together, but under the name of the mission, they found themselves becoming brothers. I think that's what God desires for us in the church. I think it's important for us to give recognition to others, to identify them, as Paul says, give recognition to such people, and to even identify the different roles that they play. I, I, I want to go back to that illustration of the coach that's on the front of that, of that canoe on that day. He was playing a role that there was a responsibility that he had. Can you imagine what he was watching as the elephant was drowning, right? He's probably at times discouraged. At times he knows that it would have been easier for him to grab the paddle himself and to help this group do it in a different way. But instead, what he chose to do was to say, we have a mission, it's clear, I'm gonna help you to grow in it. That's a part of the role of, of the body of Christ. Uh, I want you to think about six seats on a canoe, and I want you to think that each one plays a different role, has a different view, experiences something entirely different, but it's all good. And as we've studied the book of 1 Corinthians, one of the things we've seen is the listing of gifting that God has given his people, and it's not all the same. Praise the Lord for that, right? That he gives us different gifts and privileges and responsibilities and places. And one of the things that I've wrestled with, some of you, um, this is an area, I'm going to confess this, that, that as the Lord has given me the privilege to lead here at Hope Church, I've spent my life underneath the leadership of many different people. I, uh, some of the most influential people in my life have been people who've been my pastors, the elders in the churches that I've served at. And I, I thank the Lord for that. There's times if I'm honest with you, that I question the decisions that were made. There are times when I got frustrated because they didn't make decisions the way that I wanted them to or do things in the manner that I expected. Or I can look back over my history and, and, and there was a time when I believe in, a, in a, just around that time period, I had articulated something critical about a leader that was over me. And then I read this verse, um, this, this incredible verse in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 17. And I, I love this verse. It is so powerful. It says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no 
advantage to you. I, I, I want to juxtapose this to a passage in that, that was recorded earlier in 1 Corinthians, and I want you to hear this, that God's the one who does the seat arrangements in the order of his church. He says this, God has placed each part in the body just as he wanted it to be. In that way, the parts of the body will not take sides. All of them will take care of one another. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part shares in its joy. You are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. I, I shared that, that passage to just remind you. We have different bits and pieces and roles and parts. And that is partially because of the fact that God's been the coach that's put us in the position that he has for us. And for some of you, when I, you read that Hebrews passage that I read, um, it's important for you to remember that as a church, Hope Church, that I am not the only leader at Hope Church. I am a person who partners together with elders that are elected by our church family, those who are members of our church family, that are affirmed, that are held accountable in their roles. And that, that is partially from the study that we studied in the book of Acts. We saw that pattern in the early churches that it wasn't just one leader, but Paul often encouraged churches to establish a plurality of leaders. And I'll just tell you, that is one of the great assets of Hope Church, is our leaders that the Lord has called, our, our elder team. And, and for some of you, you, you can stand at back and you can say, I want, why are they thinking? Or why did they do that? Or what's going on? But I'll just tell you that, that part of our privilege as being people who are under authority is to not reject that, but to accept that that is a part of what it means for us to be the body of Christ. We are all at some level under authority. And the Hebrews passage reminds us what it means to recognize those who are over us. And I celebrate that fact. Some of it's just as simple as saying that the Lord has asked me to play a role. And I confess, the reason why I confess this is I confess that at times in my life, I wanted to be a different seat on the canoe. And there's times where I probably didn't row in the way that I should have. I dishonored those who were in authority over me because of the fact that I thought it would be a better view somewhere else on the canoe. Do you understand what I'm talking about? And so I, I want to challenge us to recognize that there's others that are a part of this, that God's uniquely gifted them as well. And, and we recognize those who the Lord has placed in leadership of, of, over us. And that is not something that is shameful are over, um, like the authority is not so heavy, but instead when it's done right, um, we do so in a way that honors the Lord. Does this mean blind obedience? Does this mean disregard for everything that that leader does or says? Of course not. In our new members class um, uh, that George Panna leads, one of the things that he says in there, and I love this, he says, this does not mean that we give blind allegiance even when pastors and elders fail to lead and to teach Biblically, of course, that's not what we do. It is, what does it mean? It, what it means is that we are called to support, pray for, and adhere to the spiritual authority of those appointed to positions of church leadership. And I think that that description, we see Paul emphasizing it here at the end of 1 Corinthians, the recognition of those who are in, in authority, but also the recognition of the privilege of coming underneath that authority. And if you saw the Hebrews passage, um, this is a responsibility that our elders at Hope Church and I myself carry. And that is a recognition that I am accountable before the Lord as to how I um, lead and serve this church family. Uh, so I, I take that really seriously. I hope you recognize that. 
So we recognize the first point this morning is that we recognize one another. And just want to challenge you to consider that. When I challenge you to greet one another, I'm going to challenge you like the Apostle Paul models for us to remember names, to care for people, to uh, welcome them into your life and to make space for new relationships in your life. The second point this morning um, really flows out of that, and that is to be intentional about welcoming new relationships in your life. Some of you uh, have, have recognized over these last several years that isolation is something that we've experienced in ways that, that are, is hard for us to eat. Could, we could have never even imagined what this would feel like. This next picture is one that some of you experienced. I, I, I recognize like, that we've, we've experienced this this sense of, I'm just worn out. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm, I'm ready uh, for more relationships. When I tease about the no vacancy sign that we put in front of us, some of it is just that we're, we're worn out. I think um, it's also appropriate for us to say, I, I want to show this slide of outside of a nursing home. I think that for some of us, we've experienced this over these last years. I, I've watched some of you lose loved ones and not be able to have a funeral for them because of some of the uh, things that the, the way that COVID impacted our country and, and it's heartbreaking. You look at this picture and it tells such a story, doesn't it? I'm trying to connect together with the person that's inside there and, and the cell phones and panes of glass can only go so far, right? They, um, you can only do so much when you're separated from one another. I think that God desires for us to have something more than that in our life. And I think that there's reasons for us to understand why um, we've, we have um, at times been separated or isolated. But I, I want you to see this example that Paul gives us. Let's go back to verse 19. It says this, the churches of Asia send you greetings, Aquila and Prisca. Um, we know this as Aquila and Priscilla. Together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is, is incredibly personal, what Paul is saying here. He wants to go out of his way to make sure they know that this is his handwriting, that he's personally connecting, attempting to connect with the people who he shared the gospel with originally in Corinth. And as we see the intimacy of this statement, Prilla, Aquila and Priscilla uh, were leaders that were in Corinth and then went on with the Apostle Paul to Ephesus. And uh, I want you to catch this. This is really cool. It's kind of a side note. But in Scripture, every time that we have this married couple referenced, they're always referenced together. Isn't that cool? So we know there were a lot of married people in Scripture and disciples and individuals that we respect. And I don't want to um, dismiss them. But what I love about this particular couple is that they were aligned together in such a way that they saw their life as being committed to the ministry of others. It talks about them using their home. Church, if you haven't figured out that your home is a tool for ministry, you need to start figuring that out. Now, in those days, they did not have buildings like we have and opportunities to worship. And so the options that you had were often early days of the church, somebody's home. Can you imagine, you know, your master bedroom or the bathroom in your house being the bathroom that your whole church family uses? That's awkward, right? But, but, but at the end of the day, that's what they were willing to do 
was to allow people to, you guys are like, what was the plumbing like back then? Okay, I won't try to figure that out, right? But, but you guys understand what I'm saying, right? That, that these, this couple uh, were sharing a vision and mission together of ministry. They modeled it in their life and they were willing to allow people to come into their life. The, the phrase here, it's, it shown, shows up elsewhere in scripture as well, this this greeting one another with a holy kiss. I want us to make sure that we catch this. We've been in cultures that greet with a holy kiss. It doesn't carry the same meaning in, in our culture today. Uh, but I want you to understand the value. In our culture today, it might be a great fist bump or a really warm hug, um, or it might be a handshake. But, but what we recognize when we do this is that we're expressing to someone that we believe that there's space for them in our life that there's value that's in them, that we, we care for them and we're making space for them. I, I believe, brothers and sisters, that that's really hard for us today. I don't mean you as a church. I mean all of us. I think there's calluses. I think there's hurt. I think there's reasons why we have the no vacancy sign hanging around our neck. But I think that what the Lord wants from us is to understand this command that the Apostle Paul is giving this church. And you might say, well, it's just a dismissive statement. No, I think he was actually saying something to them that was essential, that they make space for people in their life, that they make space in their homes, they make space in their relationships, that they choose to allow there to be space for others. They use their home in that way. I think it's powerful. And this description to greet one another heartily, with a holy kiss, I think it's saying that we want to engage together in real relationships. Brothers and sisters, God designed us to be better together. I think it's essential for us to understand that our faith is the thing that unifies us. We're in that canoe together because of the fact that we have all said, those of us who placed our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he's our Lord. He's the one who's in control. He's the one who's guiding us and directing us in our life. And I think it is important for us to recognize that, that, that as we, we come to this third point, that God designed us to be better together, that it is our faith that allows us to be unified. Um, let, let's go back to that hug. I love this, this picture of the, the woman hugging um, this other person in the church context. I love that picture. Um, if, if you can't get that, um, you could also just decide to buy one of these. This is a, like a real thing, you guys. Um, this, is, this is incredible. So I, I, they're actually sold out. I'm not going to tell you how I know that. Um, but um, this, this is a thing um, that can help you to buy a hug. That's ludicrous, isn't it? You guys, you guys know um, the third point this morning is that God designed you and I to be better together. It's our faith that unifies us together. Verse 22 says this, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. And then he says, our Lord has come, or come Lord. I love that, that description in the text. As we look at this, if anyone does not love the Lord, let a curse be on that person. You guys, you guys, you guys knew that was going to happen, didn't you? You guys have been watching this for the last, the last 20 minutes here, right? So if anyone does not love the Lord, let a curse be on that person, and then come, Lord. In the, in the Greek text, it's a fascinating combination. In the, in the King James Version, it actually says the statement, and this was probably a phrase that was said in the church, anathema, maranatha. 
Maranatha. We know most of us the word Maranatha that declares, come Lord Jesus, come, and this anathema. I want to unpack this briefly for a second. What the Apostle Paul was saying here is, is that your deepest relationships, you need to catch this, your deepest relationships in your life as a Christ follower are going to come with other Christ followers. It's not saying that there's not space for non-believers in your life. The Apostle Paul modeled this beautifully. He was uh, incarnational in the way that he lived his life. But I think it's important for us to recognize this language of brotherhood and connection together and this description, even this statement that looks what, what feels like a little bit harsh to us. Partially what he's saying is something that was probably a declaration of the early church that that there are those that reject the faith and, and, and we continue to cry out, Lord, return. It's our faith that unifies us together. And then he goes on to say in verse 23, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. This book began with a declaration of grace. Grace be to you, literally is what it says. Grace to you is how it began. And the Apostle Paul gets to the end of this book and he says, grace to you. This is what God wants of us, is to experience the gift and provision of his grace. And I love how Wayne Cordero in his book, talking about this, uh, he challenges us. And I remember reading this some 20 years ago, looking at my own life and just saying, Lord, what are you asking of me in the church? What are you asking of me to be? What do you want me to do with my life? And I want you to hear these words. I hope they're as impactful for you as we consider applying this simple truth that we've studied together today, that we're better together. He says this, God has given each of us a paddle a gift, a calling. And like the paddlers in a canoe, each of us has a vital place to serve or a unique role to fill. On each paddle is our unique thumbprint, our own individual circuitry designed by God himself. He places each of us in a community, more specifically, a local church with a divine purpose. He fits us alongside of others with a similar assignment and calls us a family, a team. The church, no one person, in the church, no one person is called to carry out this assignment alone. God didn't design it this way. He designed for us to do church as a team. So, so church, I want to challenge us. I, I think this is what the Apostle Paul was challenging this church in Corinth that he loved, is that he saw that they struggled at times with accepting the authority that, that had been established there. Remember, they had leaders and they wanted different leaders. That was, their, that was one of the plagues that suffered that church. They, they were frustrated when people shared with them hard truths. In fact, we're going to see that when we study 2 Corinthians, that they didn't always want to receive the hard truths that were communicated to them. And I think more essentially, the Apostle Paul is accentuating at the end of this powerful book, there's a place for you here. There's a role that you have. There's a responsibility that you have in the body of Christ. The question for each one of us is, are you ready to, to join in to this process? Are you willing to accept that God has relationships for you that are so much deeper than just flesh and blood? But in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's made space for us to be able to call one another brothers and sisters. Would you join me in prayer as we ask the Lord to search our hearts and to convict us in areas that we need convicted in. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word. 
I, I thank you for this, this simple book, Doing Church as a Team, that um, and as, as um, Pastor Cordero unpacked the truth of your word in a way that was meaningful to me some 20 years ago, I pray for us as a church family that we would be people who are recogni- recognize the, the tendency that we have to isolate, to miss out on what you have for us, but to also recognize the provision that you've given us within the beautiful, blessed family of Christ. We love you. We thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.